You're listening to What's Wrong With This Picture? Freaky Films and Why We Frickin' Love Them. Hi, I'm Lindsay McCullough. And I'm Gary Mulholland. And in each episode of What's Wrong With This Picture, we'll be looking at a movie we think is weird and wonderful. We sometimes do include the endings where it's key to what the film is, so please be prepared for that. So anyway, buckle up and join us on a journey to dangerous cities, suburbia and other fantasy worlds. It's going to be a wild ride. This time we're looking at Stuck On You, a gross-out comedy from 2003, directed by Bobby and Peter Farley. It stars Matt Damon as Bob, Greg Kinnear as Walt, Eva Mendes as April, Wen Yan Shi as May, and Cher and Meryl Streep as some version of themselves. The total cast list is 434 people, which kind of surprised me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Gary, tell us a bit about the plot. Okay, so Bob and Walt Tenner are conjoined twins who run a quickie burger in Martha's Vineyard. Uh, their immaculately choreographed burger flipping is the toast of the local community. They have another differently abled man on the staff and uh, they are admired and accepted to the point where, when a bullying customer calls them freaks, the entire diner rises to its feet in a physically threatening show of support. They were high school sports stars and the exceptionally shy Bob, played by Matt Damon, has a pen pal girlfriend from California called Mei Fong, who he has never met and uh, has never told that he is a conjoined twin. And Walt, who is played by Greg Kinnear, is such a brash and talented extrovert that he does a hit one-man show every year at the local theatre. And yes, uh, yes, it's a one-man show with a man attached to his back. Um, Life is good until Walt insists that he wants to go to Hollywood to pursue an acting career and begs his reluctant brother to allow it to happen, pointing out that this would allow Bob to meet his beloved Mei Fong in person. In Hollywood, the pair meet a couple of new friends, but Walt is finding it difficult to pass auditions, as most of us probably would if we had Matt Damon attached to our back. They also meet Meryl Streep, who might just return to the story later. But Walt's luck seems to change when he gets the chance to co-star with Cher in a tacky TV show called Honey and the Bees. Cher is in fact evil Cher, who feels that the show is beneath her and insists that Walt is cast, so the show will be cancelled. However, the show's producers call her bluff, find ingenious ways of hiding Bob on screen, and Walt becomes famous. Meanwhile, when May discovers Walt and Bob in bed after having been convinced by the pair's surreal attempts to explain why she can never see Bob without Walt in close attendance, she jumps to the conclusion that they are gay lovers and flees the scene. Walt can now see how unhappy Bob is. He insists that he and Bob get surgically separated, a procedure Bob had previously refused because there are a chance that Walt might die. Bob refuses and the pair have the best on-screen one-handed fist fight in history. <laughs> As they recover from the mutual beating, Bob agrees to the surgery and then punches Walt in the face. Lindsay, what's wrong with this picture? <laughs> well, I think when we first discussed doing it, Gary, you were kind of like... This isn't a weird film, you know. Mm. The, the plot, as as you said, and as you'll you'll carry on with the the rest of the plot, it's it's very much Hollywood A to Z. Mm. This happens, this happens, this happens, this happens in the end. So I would agree that the plot itself does not lend this to be, to being a weird film. But can I just remind you, this is a gross out comedy, 
about a pair of conjoined twins. Mm-hmm. And uh, years later, Greg Kinnear's been interviewed and he said, oh yeah, yeah, back in that those days, I made a, a, a conjoined comedy, a conjoined twin comedy with Matt Damon. Back in the days when everyone was doing conjoined comedies. <laughs> and it's, it, it's that kind of thing. This is a yeah. very unusual uh, subject matter and take on a very mainstream comedy yeah, film. Yeah, yeah. No, I take your point. I, I, I think it's... What the the thing that I think is not weird about it is that it's kind of a conventional sitcom plot, i.e. sitcoms. Most of the great sitcoms depend on one thing. There are a couple of main protagonists, often two guys or two girls. They tr- one of them tries to change, the other one holds them back, and they end up back where they started. And in a sense, that is the plot of Stuck on You. However, um, <laughs> there is something really genuinely extraordinary about watching two able-bodied actors who are generally known for um, straight roles uh, becoming inspired physical comedians while surgically or sort of like what's the word um, attached to each other in some way that they yeah. managed to do so and and how these two guys um, pull it off and also about the fact which I think Lindsay you know is, is going to be something you're going to talk about that this is not a comedy laughing at uh, conjoined twins or people with disabilities. This is a film that celebrates difference. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, if we, if we look back at the Farley Brothers' earlier films, you might say that in things like Dumb and Dumber or Kingpin or There's Something About Mary, that, that the disabled people could be seen as the punchline of the joke. Mm. That's not true in this film. And I think it, it shows a kind of a maturity, uh, a kind of moving on, a development for the Farley Brothers. Because in this film... These guys are the heroes and it's a film that's got a, a really big heart. It's very, I find it very moving actually without mm. ever becoming mawkish as it could be. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, the, part of the humour lies in the, in the, the kind of the undercutting of the mawkishness that, that could, yeah. that could happen. Yeah. But I think in this film, what it, why it's interesting and why it's weird is that their disability is not an impairment to them. No. It doesn't hold them back. It pushes them on. They're better burger flippers because they yeah, can do it yeah, together. Yeah. They're better at sports because there's two of them in the hockey goal or there's two of them pitching uh, at, at baseball. They're better at running away from bullies because they've got four legs and they're faster. So <laughs> yeah. their, their impairment that, that may hold them back actually kind of propels them forward. And I think the other weird film, uh, weird thing about this film is that people's reaction to their disability is the kind of moral barometer. Mm, yeah. If if people are for them, they're good people. If people are bad, then they are laughing at them or they are they are yeah, bullying the them. The they are the butt of the joke. Yeah. So it's this very kind of I, I think I would challenge you to name me another mainstream comedy film mm. where people's acceptance of difference is the moral barometer for the whole film. Yeah, no, it's unusual. There's no two ways about that. And and I would struggle to to name that film, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, you're absolutely right. I think, I think it's a unique film. I really do, uh, in the sense of... Right, I, I was looking up, you know, the facts and figures about the film. <laughs> they gave these guys $55 million yeah. Yeah. to make a comedy about conjoined twins. Yeah. $55 million. And it's, of course, you know, fully part of the strange maths of Hollywood accountancy that this film was seen as a flop 
because it only made a $10 million profit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, that's apparently breaking even, and breaking even for Hollywood yeah. is a desperate disaster. Yeah. Um, but what... I realised they'd made, you know, a series of really, um, you know, successful films, and particularly There's Something About Mary was just massive. Yeah. But then... 50, you know, they walk in with a script saying, yeah, we want to make a comedy where we tie Craig Kinnear and Matt Damon together uh, and do a whole hour and a half riff about conjoined twins. Yeah, here's $55 million. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On you go. Um, and it is unique in the sense of, yeah, the, the commitment to the idea of, we, because I think it's, it's interesting to point out, because you, you might be thinking, ah, Ah, but surely if if Greg Kinnear and Matt Damon are doing this rather than they've cast conjoined twins, mm. is this like blackface? Um, but later in the film, um, in particular, there are a lot of people with disabilities, uh, genuine people with disabilities who are cast in the film. And it plainly isn't a kind of like, yeah, a, a sort of blackface idea. It's part of the gag is... We're watching Matt Damon and Greg Kinnear trying to do things yeah. uh, tied together. Yeah. You know, it's... And, uh, Greg Kinnear is visibly older than Matt Damon. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in real life, he's seven years older, but he, he could be 15 years yeah. older. He looks yeah. that much older, yeah. I think. And they've got, they've got kind of, well, certainly um, Walt, uh, Greg Kinnear, does have a comedy haircut, much like yes. Dumb and Dumber, which, which makes me laugh. Um, you mentioned like the production they got 55 million to make this and Roger Ebert said the um, the film critic the fact that Walt hopes to be a movie star is less amazing than that the Farleys had the nerve to make a comedy about it yeah and I think yeah. I think um, I think that's the thing another thing I find um, you mentioned unusual and I don't know if you're making a, a, a difference between unusual and weird maybe, and I guess maybe a little bit I guess I guess that's <laughs> fair enough you know I, I you know if I was being Antsy, I'd say, all right, why don't you define those two things for me and then show me what the difference is? But I'm not going to do that today. Let's let that slide. Because, you know, <laughs> one, one person's unusual, I think, could be construed as another person's weird. Yes. But I, I would say, compared to some of the other films that we've looked at in What's Wrong With This Picture, mm. on paper, this is this is not, kind of plot-wise, it's not as weird. It's got recognised stars in it. But as you know, I was very, very keen to do a mainstream comedy and I could not think of anything that was... More, more unusual than yeah, this. Yeah, more one. weird. Yeah, I, I, I kind of, I, I sort of agree. And when you first suggested it to me, I was, I was, because I'd only seen it the once, and uh, we watched it together. You know, it first came out, and we both really liked it. And I immediately thought, yeah, yeah, because, because the strangeness of this film, there's no two ways about it. The very fact that it was made, yeah, is strange. And the very fact that the two people who pulled it off and made it, I think, a triumph to watch. Is Greg Kinnear yeah. and Matt Damon? Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, Matt. I, you know, opinions differ about Matt Damon, and you know, other opinions are available. Terms yeah. and conditions apply. <laughs> and obviously, I think you know, it, it's his slightly conjoined relationship with Ben Affleck that has probably been yeah. bad for his image. <laughs> um, you know, the worst actor of his generation. But there you go. Um, Matt Damon isn't the worst actor of his generation. But I, if somebody says to me he's going to pull off a physical comedy triumph. Yeah. Um, in any film, um, you, you know, I was sitting up, you're just having a laugh. Yeah. Uh, but we are, in fact, having a laugh yeah. with Matt Damon because he's exactly. really funny. Exactly. And I, I think I think you're right. They wring every single drop of physical comedy possibility out of them being 
con- conjoined twins. So they're joined at the liver. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Matt Damon has something like 90% of the liver and, and uh, sorry, Bob has 90% of the liver. <laughs> Walt has 10% of the liver, which yeah. is why the, the, the separation is, is potentially so so dangerous um, for him. But so they have all kinds of things about, they have an argument, as you say, Matt, punch it. Character <laughs> Bob, Bob punches Walt. You know, but before we go any further yeah. with this, you know, you're really, really precise about this. So, you know, I, I, I don't think I'm saying too much about the behind-the-scenes discussions on this podcast, but uh, it was Lindsay who was very much, you know, Gary, you know, stop using the, the, the actors' names. You know, use the characters' names. We're talking about these fictional characters. And I was like, yeah, you're right, you're right, okay. Um, and then I started listening to a whole bunch of other movie podcasts to see, you know, what what ideas we could steal, basically. And um, <laughs> and everybody just talks about the actors all the time. And they never mention the characters' names. It's like, God, we're the only people doing this. We're the only people actually using the characters' well, names. Well, that's because we're weird. Unique and weird. <laughs> and unusual. <laughs> Matt Damon plays Bob. Yes. Greg Kinnear plays Walt. So yes. Bob punches Walt in the face mm. and then turns to flee. They're still connected at this <laughs> yeah. point. And Walt says to him, yeah, you better oh, yeah, run. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I, just, I just think it's, it's really funny. Um... There's all kinds of things. So there, there is a fight in in a bar, yeah. Uh, which I guess we'll we'll come on to a bit later on. But uh, yeah, okay. It's that's uh, cut to this kind of seventies disco tune called the Hustle. Yeah, which is just really, yep. really, really funny. I want I wanted to go back to kind of the world of disability though that the Farleys yeah. have created because yeah. it really struck me that so in this in their small town they're very much accepted as is Rocket the kind of learning disabled man that you mentioned who also works in their in their cafe played it's, it appears certainly by a disabled actor and he looks to have a, a learning and a physical disability in real life as well um, and they have made a town much like Schitt's Creek if mm, people are familiar yeah, with that yeah, yeah. Um, sitcom where yeah. a kind of rich family has to go and live in the in a little hick town in the middle of nowhere and the main romance in that is is uh, is two men. It's a it's a kind of gay or pansexual romance that 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 happens as the as the key part of this. And at no point does anyone in Schitt's Creek, the town, say anything homophobic. homophobic. And and Dan Dan Le- Le- Levy, the writer and and creator of that show, was very definite. He did not want to create a world where homophobia existed. Right. And he took that definite decision. And the Farley brothers in this town have made the same decision. They don't want to have a town where yeah. there is kind of ableist comments or any kind of discrimination yeah, yeah. At, at, at these people who are different. Um, I, I think one of my favourite things watching it this second time was that, that I was knocked out by, uh, and it's about how to structure a film by people who are really very good at it. Yeah, It's seven, the first seven minutes of the film you are introduced to this idyllic place in Martha's Vineyard. You're introduced to the idea that Greg Kinnear and Matt Damon are tied together uh, and are playing conjoined twins. You are introduced to the idea that they do this incredible kind of burger flipping thing, the shtick being put the, their customers get a free burger yeah. if they don't serve it to them in three minutes. And, of course, the implication is they never take more yeah. than three minutes yeah. to serve a perfect burger. And it's quite brilliantly done with, you know... I, Imagine a bit of CGI and some speeding up of camera, but it really, really looks good the way these two guys flip burgers. Um, it's and it's also established within that first seven minutes that this town is not um, a, a how did you put it ableist is yeah. not ableist because they introduce one family 
who are assholes, yeah. basically, and have a bullying man. And they've cast this guy very carefully because he looks... He just looks like a meathead, you know, yeah. and he's got a meathead haircut and he's wearing meathead clothes yeah. and he's just got dickhead written all over him. He starts to bully um, both them and Rocket, and Rocket, the waiter, and the whole cafe full of people stand up and yeah. basically make it clear that it's them that are the freaks and that are yeah. not welcome yeah. and, you know, they have to flee for their lives, yeah. essentially. absolutely. Seven minutes. Yeah. Seven minutes they pull that all off. Yeah, to, to set this world up. I think it's I think it's great. I've got to come back to the Freaks reference mm, in a minute, but mm. I just want to say, for a film that is emotional and I think does have a good emotional heart yeah. about what it means to love someone and rely on someone and try and make your own way and just what, what supports you or what can hold you back in terms of love, mm. I think it's hilarious. And I know we kind of differ on this as well. I maybe think it's slightly funnier than you do. I think... Well, I can't wait to run through this because there are certain scenes in this that I think are comic genius. Yeah. I'm laughing even thinking about them, so I'm looking forward to us going through them. Um, but you've got certain, some dialogue that you think is just genius. Well, and, and I'm going to pepper it in, but this this one, where, where the guy is bullying Rocket mm. and it, Rocket brings him the wrong drinks. This is his job. is He, he has to bring the Coke and the Sprite and the, the, yeah, the, yeah, the soft yeah. drinks. Uh other soft drinks are available to him. <laughs> he has to bring the soft drinks, but the the joke seems to be he gets the orders wrong all the time. Now, whether right. this is kind of out of malice and mischief or whether it's just he just doesn't care enough about it or doesn't yeah. can't learn how to do it. But anyway, this, this meathead guy says to him at one point, are you dense? And he says, no, I'm Rocket. Dennis works at the post office. Do you need stamps? <laughs> now, I think Dennis works at the post office. Bang. You got your punchline. Yeah. Do you need, you need stamps? stamps? Is is, is the, just the bit of genius? Hilarious. Yeah. Hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're good. Co- Listen, they wrote Dumb is Dumber. They wrote there's something about yeah. Mary. They wrote Kingpin. Yeah. Which you know what? At some point, maybe in the future, this might be that might be another movie yeah, we yeah. could do because Kingpin is weird as hell um, and is a work of absolute genius. They are great. They are great comedy writers. They're great, great comedy writers. They certainly were for a while, but we'll come back to that later. Yeah, absolutely. So another reason I think this film is is weird is Cher. She's absolutely... Mm. (laughs) I agree. ...monstrous. She's she's monstrous. I think you and I have had a conversation about is she in on the joke or isn't Mm. she? So... In the film, Cher plays a version of Cher who mm. is trapped in this contract, as you say, for Honey and the Bees, this this shit kind of detective show that she wants to get out of. And she's kind of bewildered as, she, as to how she got involved in this contract, how mm. she's in the position that she is. This is Cher the character. Mm. And I think we wondered, is Cher the actress in the same position? How did she get to <laughs> yeah, be yeah, like yeah. the scenery-chewing villain in a conjoined twins comedy? Well, this is the thing, and, and this is, I think, where we, we, we do disagree. Um, Cher can't chew the scenery because her face can't move. <laughs> now, look, I'm sorry and all that. I, I, I'm sorry if, 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 if there's people out there who believe, firstly, that Cher is some kind of great icon, uh, Okay, and secondly, that plastic surgery, Botox, liposuction, and everything else that you inject into yourself is perfectly fine and fair game. I personally feel that if you've reached a point with that, and you are a screen actor, and your face literally cannot make expressions anymore, you now have a natural disadvantage in the acting stakes. So I have no 
clue <laughs> whether Cher is good in this, bad in this, indifferent in this, whether she knows that she's been cast in it, whether she's just actually wandered into some studio and somebody's pointed the camera at her and gone, Cher, look over this way. And she's gone, oh, okay. Oh, I, I, honestly, no, on. sorry. I, I've got no sympathy for people who, anybody who does this to themselves. I don't buy into the Cher thing. I don't understand why people think she's any good at anything. She's a <laughs> mediocre actress and a mediocre singer. And now she's a monstrosity and I don't understand it. Well, strong words there yeah, from my, uh, my podcast. But no, no, but that's fair enough. I, I mean, she doesn't have much to do this in the way of comedy, except she is... The, the reason I think she is in it on the joke is twofold. One, she has this terrible song over the end credits, so it's like she, she knew enough to get some yeah. kind of song royalties in there as well. It, I, mean, I thought it... Oh, you, you sure it's... Yeah. There's, okay. it, it, it starts off somebody else, but she, ah, she does have a song like you know, into, yeah. yeah right, okay. If you stick right to the end, you ah, know where got you get you got, you got all you. The, the lesser credits. She she is singing something over it, but but also she does take the total Mickey out of her own kind of persona and reputation. So at one point she's watching Honey and the Bees in in bed. Is it? Or she's watching something in telly yeah. in bed, and <laughs> the boyfriend gag. that she's in bed with is. Frankie Muniz, who played Malcolm in the Middle. Now, this film was made in 2003. He looks like he's still in Malcolm in the Middle. He looks like he's 12 he or 13. Such, this is why the bat, that scene is one of the best arguments for this is a weird movie. Yeah. Because that is a sick and wrong gag and it is hilarious. It's so it, funny. It's worthy of Family Guy or it's always sunny. The, the sickest, wrongest comedies you could think of. And she says to him at one point, he, he wants to watch the telly and she's like, you know, she turns it off and he's like, I was watching that. She's like, you've got a geography test in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then later on, you know, presumably another boyfriend, but she says to Walt when they've been separated and Walt is completely feeling the mm, separation mm. and the... And the, and the the lack of 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 his brother, and she says to him, "You know, cheer up, kid. You know, we've all got, we all know what it is like to miss somebody. My boyfriend's just gone off to college." <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and, and okay. You, I don't think you can say those lines and not understand that a joke yeah. is being made at your yeah. expense. Yeah. So in that case, you know what? Hats off to her. Yeah. No, I I I probably I, I was over egging, egging the pudding for for effect. You um, yeah, over egging the pudding. <laughs> <laughs> Who'd have thunk it? Um, I don't think she's very good in this. I think because I don't think she's very good, and and I think one of the major reasons is is actually you know the stuff that she's had done to her face because she doesn't have facial expressions anymore. So I kind of, although I'm the, one of the Farrelly brothers might be sitting here going, well, isn't the perfect straight man who someone who actually can't yeah. <laughs> smile? Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah and, and they'd have a point. Um, I, I wish it was somebody else. Um, I wish it was another famous star that they'd got because, I, 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 yeah, it, it doesn't work for me. But, um, but the gag that a famous star would be trapped into a program with a conjoined twin. <laughs> I'm even laughing as I say yeah. it. I would be desperate to get out of it. Um well, it's funny. Yeah. I love the whole notion of honey and the bees as well, though, yeah, because it is the like, bees. it is like, yeah. So he he plays somebody called Max Beasley and this is his nickname is the bees and her name is honey. Yeah. And that's the joke. But um, it Indeed. really, it really does remind me of those things like castle or bones or something where you've got these just 
incredibly outre situations. It's like, hmm, let's put in some unresolved sexual tension and like yeah. a, a, a bloody body mystery every week and create some shit think, TV programme. Do you think Max Beasley, it's just it hit me as we're talking, right, because Max Beasley's an actor, right? Max Beasley is a, a, a British musician, kind of acid jazz musician, mm. who went into, somehow got into movies. And by this time he must have done Glitter with... Mariah Carey, yeah. which was a legendary disaster. Do you think they chose Max Beasley as a no? Because now I'm now I'm second guessing myself and thinking it might be Mac Beasley. Ah, oh, okay, fair enough. And anyway, sure. I mean, he's not big enough to to take the Mickey out. No, no, he's no share. Nah, that's true. I mean, it's interesting to think of who could play Cher's part. And I, I guess what might have been interesting, we mentioned that Meryl Streep is in this and mm. doesn't have a lot to do. I, I wouldn't no. say it does does her very small part, very good heartedly. But maybe somebody like her who doesn't have the reputation for being a total cow, because Cher does have that reputation yeah, and plays yeah. up against it. But somebody who is legendarily nice might maybe, have been better. Yeah. Might have been better. But I'm thinking about that fight fifty five million budget and wondering how much yes. you have to pay Meryl Street by the yard yeah. and how much you have <laughs> yeah. to pay Cher by the yard. Yeah, yeah. And coming to a conclusion. And like the very odd casting as the director of this TV show is Griffin Dunn. Yeah. Now, I think actually Griffin Dunn does do, has become a director. Yeah, uh, yeah. Griffin Dunn, if you're um, not familiar with the name, he uh, started off as an actor and his biggest successes were probably American Werewolf in London, uh, where he was kind of the supporting star, uh, second banana. And um, the other one was uh, After Hours, which was the Martin Scorsese yeah. screwball comedy, um, uh, which he was the lead. And it's just one of those things, you know, it's kind of like, right, you've gone out and you've got Cher, and that's a that's a yeah. big gag, a big yeah. star. You've gone out and got Meryl Streep, big gag, big star. Mm. Griffin Dunn. Yeah. Well, presumably they could not afford Martin Scorsese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder how much you have to pay Martin Scorsese by that, the yard for that cameo. That would have been funny. Martin Scorsese directs Honey and the Bees. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See? I'm loving that. Oh, we're like the Farrelly Brothers, man. We should just go and, and yeah, re- yeah, we'll yeah. do the remake. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> um, it was such a huge success first time around. <laughs> I saw I saw online that Jack Nicholson has a cameo. Did you see it? Really? Yeah. I didn't remember it and couldn't no. see it, so I don't know if that was if that was cut out. I don't remember a scene him, unless there's a there's there's a lot of audience coverage at the, at the, end, the end because the there's end. a there's a show yeah. that happens which Gary will tell us if, about. In a bit. If he's in it, surely because basically um, we we sort of talked. We always talk before we do uh, our things about how how much you, we give away of the ending. Do we think it's you know important to talk about the end or not? And can we get away with a spoil? You know, not doing a spoiler. Um, the end of this, it's, it's not a mystery story. It's a feel-good comedy. So I don't think we're, you know, doing any wrong uh, talk about the ending. And the ending is kind of a, a, essentially a big dance number in a theatre, big song and dance number. And it just involves a huge cast of people um, watching um, yeah. the performance, which is basically Greg Kinnear and Meryl Streep. And, um, and maybe Jack Nicholson is buried somewhere yeah. in that huge cast. 
of people. Well, in which case, hats off to him because I genuinely didn't see him at no, all. No, master of disguise, Jack Nicholson, you know. <laughs> That's right. Not like, he's, not like he's really noticeable in uh, films. No. I mean, you could put a pair of sunglasses on a, on a standard <laughs> lamp and send it to the Oscars yeah. and nobody be any the wiser, really, would they? Goddamn cracker ass. <laughs> That's it. Sunglasses and that phrase and you've got it. <laughs> Brilliant. All right. So are we on to why this film is great? Yeah, no, no. I, shall I do the last bit of the plot? Because there's not much left. Um, let me see. Because uh, Right, so, yes. The surgery is successful and Bob and May return to Martha's Vineyard, but neither Walt or Bob are happy without the other. And Honey and the Bees is cancelled due to plummeting ratings and Bob isn't any good at flipping burgers anymore. So Walt discusses his miseries with Cher, who is now quite nice Cher. He has to choose potential superstardom in Hollywood or resolving his attachment issues back in Martha's Vineyard with brother, brother Bob. And that's basically the end of the plot. So what's so right about this picture? Back to, I, I do think it's really, really funny. I mean, first of all, the, the, the two leads are great, not just at the comedy, yeah, but at the, at, the, at the heart, and you buy this relationship between them. But the, the physical comedy and the dialogue, uh, the, the script, I think, is in some, in some parts as good as Airplane. And oh, by which, oh, 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 hang by on a which I have no higher honour. No, I think some hang of the, on a I think minute, some of the dialogue see. is as good as some of the dialogue in Airplane. I, yeah, I, it's I'm time for lot. Lindsay's hyperbolics this time. But yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I'm, I'm speechless. Um, but what I would say is, I guess you're definitely, you know, you you love the dialogue. Um, my favourite scenes, because I'm going to make you talk about some of my favourite scenes, they're the sight gags. Yeah. They're the sight gags, which are so brilliant. You've already mentioned the one with Cher and uh, Malcolm from The Middle Lad. And, um, uh, but my favourite, the one that literally I was laughing at, I was watching the film on my own, I was laughing and laughing, rolling around the floor, crying, uh, is, it's so simple. Um, the two of them are in bed uh, talking about, uh, I think, whether they're going to go to Hollywood or not, I think. Yeah. Um, and, you know, whatever. And, and, you know, it's a slightly unresolved conversation. And finally, they go, OK, let's go to bed. <laughs> this, evo- <laughs> let's, this involves them both flipping over to the right and Greg Kinnear lying on top face to face, face on face with, with Bob. So with Matt, with Matt Damon and just looking blissful and this is just done so beautifully so gracefully and so elegantly and it's like something out of Lauren Hardy or, or the Marx Brothers and Greg Kinnear's facial expression in particular is so yeah. blissful <laughs> and it's just I, I just I, I don't know I just thought god you two are you two are fantastic uh, I don't know how you pulled that off. It's it's so simple, but it's I, so I funny. He must have been on a wire or something because you can't just flip over uh, and, and lie on someone's side and not fall off them and right? not fall off them. I don't I don't think I don't think anyway. Um, one of my favourite scenes is so um, Walt is trying to persuade Bob that this is the time that they need to get separated, and Bob is like, no, you know, the danger to you is too much. I don't want to do that. I, you know, I'll stay here. I'll be miserable. I don't want that. And so Walt says, all right, then we're going to get drunk. And Bob's like, no, 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 because he gets the brunt of it. He's got the liver. Mm. So Walt does all the drinking. Bob <laughs> is the one who, who has who has the liver. But Walt also gets drunk. But in, in the course of this, they, they're, they're driving in their car. Walt grabs some woman's purse. Blah, yeah, blah, blah. yeah. Next thing, they're in a police cell and uh, there's an identity parade. And the, the policeman <laughs> says to the woman, can you identify the man who stole your purse, ma'am? And she says... I think it's the Siamese twins in the middle, but I can't be sure. <laughs> <laughs> that 
That isn't far behind airplane. Okay, I'll give you Yay! that. That is a great. That yeah. is a great gag. That is a great gag. Um, I do have to give an enormous big up to the sports montage. Like yeah. <laughs> it's basically just a montage of their sporting achievement, their their high school life, which uh, Lindsay's already mentioned the gag where there are some bullies and they're chasing after them and because they've got four legs and the others, they've got two, they're just outrunning them by miles. But this is parlayed into boxing, baseball, yeah. you know, America, <laughs> just, and these fantastically kind of choreographed and presented sight gags about be about these two, these conjoined twins being brilliant at sport. Um, it's just beautiful, beautifully done and really funny. And also... <laughs> The whole gag about how, right, so an, another sort of subtle subtle gag, I suppose, is the the shtick is Greg Kinnear's character, Walt, is not just extrovert and charming and all that, but he's amazing with women. Yeah. And, you know, he has, you know, he just pulls. And, um, and Matt Damon, you know, beautiful, good looking, whatever, Matt Damon is just painfully awkward and helpless with women. And, um... So there's this whole thing about the fact that he, he's got this pen pal relationship uh, with Mei Fong, um, who is this beautiful Japanese, uh, I think she's Japanese, Chinese, Chinese. Chinese girl. And um, they're sort of, but he has to hide the fact that Walt is his conjoined twin, and which is, of course, ludicrous and laughs ensue. But the best one is where um, she's come to visit him and he's sitting in bed next to a giant teddy bear, <laughs> <laughs> which is, of course, Walt in disguise. <laughs> and and after that when Walt is still in the teddy bear he takes the head off and he says he says to he says to Bob they're talking about going to Hollywood and he said well you know I don't know how it'll work out I just don't want to be one of those actors who takes a role and ends up looking like an ass while he's dressed up as a giant teddy bear <laughs> yeah it's a bit of meta yeah 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 absolutely another of my favourite scenes actually is is later on so May comes to have a heart to heart to Bob. Mm. They're still conjoined at this point, but but she knows that they are conjoined, and she says to to Walt, "Can we have a bit of privacy?" And they kind of look at each other and go like, "Okay." So Walt puts on some headphones and he's obviously listening to an audio audio book, and I think the book he's listening to is "The Kid Stays in the Picture" by the yeah, producer yeah, Robert, yeah, yeah. Evans. Robert Evans. Yeah. So it's a it is this book is for anybody not familiar with it. It's an it's an autobiography of a really high up producer at Paramount. And his whole kind of drug fueled, sex fueled kind of reign of power at Paramount. Yeah, it's a guy that produced The Godfather That's and right. Chinatown. Yeah, so he's a really powerful person, and his autobiography is full of sex, drugs, rock and roll, everything else. So May and Bob are having this kind of heart to heart, and Walt every now and again just giggles. He laughs. He laughs. And at one point, they're just looking at him, and he's he says, "That Robert Evans, he banged him, didn't he?" He banged them all. <laughs> and then they're trying to have this heart to heart and he's just Yeah, yeah it's in brilliant. a different world. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's funny. Um what what I was gonna say, oh there was something I was gonna Yeah, no, so we did um an episode on freaks. Yeah, yeah, good call. So do you think do you think freaks is an influence on stuck on you and if so how? Influence? I don't know. Okay, just just to recap for anybody who's not familiar with Freaks and maybe hasn't listened to our, I have to say, excellent dissection <laughs> of said film. 
also in this series. Um, Freaks is a 1932 film. It's set in a sideshow in a circus and it uh, concerns a lot of uh, sideshow performers who are disabled people who take their revenge on a couple of able-bodied people who treat them like freaks um, in mm-hmm. Virgil Commas. So the, the name the name is Freaks. And, and But one of the kind of subtexts of that film is which ones are the freaks? Is it the disabled sideshow performers or is it the kind of cruel, able-bodied people who make their lives a misery? Mm. And I think that's that's true here as well. So the, how freaks is mentioned, the word freaks is mentioned is, is in the cafe scene that you mentioned earlier, the meathead mm. says about Rocket, he says, you know, I want to talk to the talk to the owner. So that they come out, mm. or or he sees them in the in the kind of the space in the, mm. where where they're grilling, and he says, you know, why why do you why do you employ freaks? And then they come out, and he sees that they are conjoined, and they're like, yeah, you're right. The last thing we want is freaks in here, and this this kind of facilitates the throwing out of the meathead and his family. Yeah. So that to me is very definitely positing that the dis- the disabled people in this film are not the freaks it's the yeah. people who cannot accept them or do- don't yeah. see them as human don't see them as equals that they're the freaks so I-, I think there was certainly a shout out there I'd be astonished if the Farley brothers weren't immensely 100% aware of freaks and what the message was yeah yeah whether that directly influenced the film I don't know but it's certainly it's certainly a reference point I would yeah. say yeah and that's sort of interesting point to bring up the the Farrelly brothers future career because as when we were talking about freaks um the original Todd Browning freaks um freaks had a very unfortunate impact on Todd Browning's career and he only made a couple more feet went from one of the hugest directors of his um era to a couple more films and then done uh, and retired yeah. now the Farrelly brothers are not quite as dramatic but everything they'd done up until that point had been a massive hit and uh, then this started a run of increasingly, well, unhit-like films. And they, they sort of went into a, a, a kind of, yeah, a decline, including critically panned remakes, uh, such as The Heartbreak Kid and Fever Pitch, um, and a Three Stooges biopic that despite Jim, the fact that Jim Carrey was in it, nobody watched it. Um, they had some flops as producers rather than directors and writers, um, the two haven't made a movie together uh, since Dumb and Dumber 2, which right. I think tells you all yeah. you need to know. However, Peter Farrelly uh, went back to his road trip routes on his own and um, won the Best Picture Oscar for Green Book in 2018, oh, yeah. which was, you know, uh, I think there were some jokes in it. I've never seen it. I'm not going to pretend I have. But uh, was basically, a, you know, a, a drama about race um, based on a true story. Um, much more serious film. Um but it did seem to have Stock on You was kind of the beginning of the end yeah. for them as the most successful comedy m- filmmakers yeah. of their time. And you know, I I wonder whether that I don't know uh, the, the curse of doing something so unusual. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, or uh, you know, does it does it talk to the disabilism mm. in in Hollywood mm. and in audiences? You mm. know that that, that that's a, that's a very difficult thing. Just, just on their kind of championing, championing, that's it, of uh, disability, they they actually won an award um, for their inclusion. Ah, and, okay. Um, let me just see the quote. I have it here somewhere. Yeah, they won an award for their disability inclusion and activism. And um, Peter Farley said, "We use people with disabilities in our films to tell the truth. 
if you want to tell stories about the real world, it's not real unless you include everyone. Mm. Um, and so what that leads to is the scene at the end where we, we mentioned mm. before, yeah. there's, an, there's an audience of people watching this song and dance. Yeah. And this audience is peopled with able-bodied and disabled people. Mm. And so disabled characters are playing people whose disability is neither here nor there. They're there as audience members. So there is a scene where sitting next to Cher is a little person, yeah. a, a woman who's a little person. Um, so compared to their earlier films where their disabled characters were punchlines, mm. now they're, well, certainly by this point, they're very much saying disabled people are part of our world. Let's show them as being part of the world because yeah, they yeah. are. Because they're they, just part of they, the world. And they yeah. should be, yeah. So we've got these secondary characters for whom their disability is not the biggest thing about them. And that's also true, I think, of Walt and Bob. Mm. They live in a town where their disability is not the biggest thing about them. Then they go to Hollywood and suddenly their disability is the biggest thing about them. Mm. For most people, not for everyone that they meet, there's a really nice scene where they meet April, played by smoking hot uh, Eva, Eva Mendes. Yeah. And, and usually, I guess I would say for these kind of films as well, she's not kind of hugely leered over by either no, one of them no. or really by anybody it's else. It's very them. noticeable. Yeah. It's very noticeable. You kind of think, Eva Mendes comes in and she introduces, you know, and it's the first and it's, you know, an interaction with, with Walt. And um, you kind of think, oh, right, well, we know where this is going. Um, you know, Eva Mendes is his love interest. Yeah. Uh, there will be puerile jokes about her. There will be lots of uh, male gaze staring at her ass as she walks yeah. across a, you know, screen. It never happens. No. Neither no. of that. None of those things no. happen. No, no. She, she's their best. She seems to be his best friend, but it's yeah. never made clear that she's going to be his partner. No, at not any at all. point. Not at all. They've got no, no, no romantic scenes, and and as you say, you know, nothing. Although she's regularly kind of in a bikini or whatever. Yeah, like that. she's yeah. not. There's not any. The camera doesn't do the up and down. Yeah, yeah. It's looking at her face. Yes. Yeah. And at one point, so she they're, they're staying in a motel with a swimming pool and they're outside grilling, wearing their kind of just swimming trunks. So it's clear that they are kind of joined in the middle. Mm. And <laughs> she, she comes out and she says, and she's just talking about the motel. Oh, yeah, you guys will like it here. It's a really nice vibe. And then she goes, oh, you guys are joined together. Cool. Anyway, it's a really nice vibe here, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and, then, yeah. and then later on she says, who did that for you? Where did you go to get that done? And, and they're like... No, it's just how we were born. She's like, oh, right. I thought a cosmetic surgeon had done it for you. Yeah. It's just it's just so normalised. LA vibes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. LA vibes. Um, it's, yeah, uh, it's, it, that's a really cute thing. I, and a good time to mention some music and also maybe talk about the ending a little bit. Um, uh, and, and the strange kind of odd little gay sub subtext there is, is sort of gay incest subtext, which is very odd, which is... Um, so I don't think it's too crazy to, to to sort of say that in the end, Walt decides to go back to Martha's yeah. Vineyard to be close to Bob. And this is done by, a, basically, Bob's in Quickie Burger and suddenly the jukebox comes <laughs> on and it's Baby I'm a Want You by Bread, which is just, I don't know if any of you guys know it, but it's a massively romantic winsome ballad from the 1970s and you know and, and Bob turns and then I think Walt says something and Bob turns around and he's standing there yeah and while this romantic ballad plays and they look at each other you know like 
you know, like yeah. like two guys but, but, who missed each other. But then, you know, he's, they sort of wallop the joke home by um, he hits the jukebox wall and it, it's raining men stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. he hits it again until it's something else. Yeah. So it's commented on that, yeah. that, 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 that this is... This is really um, gay. Yeah. 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 Uh, listen, I, there's one thing I really wanted to ask your yeah. opinion of. Um, so the final scene... Um, after we've had Baby Other Want You and, yeah, and yeah. Uh, the final scene is um a show. It's yeah. a show. Um it's now Walt is back in Martha's Vineyard and he does his one man show. Um except his one man show now is a complete sellout. It has share in the crowd and it has Meryl Streep as his co star. Yeah. And they've done right, they are, the stick is they've done Bonnie and Clyde. And the musical. The musical. And, you know, Greg Kinnear and, and Meryl Streep are bon, you know uh, Clyde and Bonnie. Um and I watch this. I watch this, and I think, is this a, a, a work of genius, or is this a really weird misstep? Because basically, I well, one of my favourite records of all time is a cover. Ver- it's a, a cover version of the George Gershwin classic from Porgy and Bess, "Summertime," as in "Summertime," and "Living Is Easy." And there's a version uh, from the mid '60s, I think it is, by Billy Stewart on the Chess label. And it's a soul version, a big high-stepping, big band soul version with these incredible kind of R-rolling vocal effects that Billy Stewart does. And um, it was his by far his biggest hit and um, a massive um, influence on um, Kevin Rowland's of Dexy's Midnight Runners, hence all that R-rolling he used to do in the middle of songs. And um, their choice to finish this show is Greg Kinnear doing a note-for-note rendition of Billy Stewart's cover version of Summertime with Meryl Streep, who you paid a great deal of money for, presumably, to get in your film, kind of doing nothing? No. And it's just, I I, I was watching it thinking, well, on the one hand, the fact that Greg Kinnear can, can almost, almost pull off the equal of this incredible soul vocalist's vocal for Summertime, it is impressive. On the other, why and what <laughs> and what's the point? Yeah. And and apart from this kind of like, oh look at we've got an audience that's that's got share sitting next to a little person. I I kind of, what do you think, Lindsay? What do you think about the ending? I think I think I think they they had to have a song. It's mentioned at the start, isn't it, that his lifelong dream is to do a musical version of Bonnie and Clyde. So they have to they have to end with that. It has. To, why not end it on a song? I mm. think a song gives lots more opportunity to kind of for that camera to go roving yeah. around the audience yeah. and see. And it's not just the, the, the little person next to Sharon. No. It's it's filled with other disabled people as well. Um, and I think it's 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 a little nod to say, you know what? We know we've had able-bodied actors playing these these roles. We do take this kind of stuff seriously. We do take visibility and inclusion seriously, and this is us showing us. I think possibly Greg Kinnear was like, you know what, I can do this kind of stuff. They're like, yeah, all right, we'll, yeah. we'll put that in. It does feel like it might be Greg Kinnear's favourite record. And yes. he said, could I, could, could I have a go at doing this? And yeah. they've gone, yeah, all right then. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, but it, it's odd. And his, his version of that is uh, sampled on a Rihanna song from 2011. Really? His called, version? Called not the Billy Stewart no, version? His, his version. His version. Oh, God, he must have been so delighted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He must have been so delighted. I do think it's worth a pause to say... Yeah, again, we we keep bigging up Matt Damon and saying, you know, who knew he had this kind of physical comedy in him? He's great. Greg Kinnear is. I, I, this I think movie he's. I think he's brilliant. He's brilliant, and and 
he he is kind of the leader of the twins. He he's, he's he's the the actor that makes things happen, and yeah. um and he is he is brilliant. I looked I looked him up just to see, yeah. kind of, you know, he's been in he's been in loads of stuff. He was Oscar nominated yeah. for As Good as It Gets, uh, Little Miss Sunshine. He's great in that. Uh, You've got Mail and Sabrina. He plays the schmuck who doesn't get the girl. So I think. Uh, we were talking about him in, in, in relation to Melanie Linsky, who we discussed on our uh, episode for uh, Heavenly Creatures and how much we love her. Mm. And we're, we're thinking of starting these offbeat Oscars yeah, for people Oscars. who are always great, never the leads. They're always the bridesmaid in some in some kind of way. Or they're the lead in a film that never, that yeah. doesn't quite get there. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think Greg Kinnear is, is one of those. I just yeah. I find him very, very dependable. He was in a film recently, which I haven't seen, well, a couple of years ago, called uh, Misbehaviour, which I remember seeing the trailer of and I didn't fancy it because Keira Knightley was in it. But um, <laughs> it's uh, understandable. Yeah. It's about a group of women who disrupt the Miss World ceremony. Oh, and yeah. He plays Bob Hope. Oh, and really? you can see wow. a little of that smarminess yeah. in, in, yeah. in some ways in him. But yeah. I do, the, the things I have seen him in, I I, he's great. He's I've very, never seen very him be even average in anything. Yeah, yeah. I've never seen him. I know he's not in tons and tons of stuff, but I've never seen him be average. I've, yeah, he's always good at the least. Yeah, and sometimes completely outstanding scene stealer. I think he is in tons of stuff. It's just not stuff that. Well, you, yeah, that's, I'm saying I've not seen him yeah, in tons of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But he's it's, he's not in tons of stuff that is necessarily Successful. at the forefront of no. cultural yeah. thought. Yeah, you know. No, exactly. Yeah. So let's wrap it up there yes. because um, it seems to be time. Yes. We like to score our films and we like to use a particular... And I can set. see by Lindsay's face that she hasn't thought of anything <laughs> and neither have I. And we're trying to think of something, even as I keep talking, that is not completely tasteless and therefore... Burgers. Let's do burgers. Yeah, there All you right. go. <laughs> so out of 10, 10 burgers, what's your score for quality and what's your score for weirdness? Um, seven and seven. Okay. Uh, seven for for quality. It's a, it's a top comedy. Um, it, you know, it, it's not airplane to me, but it's it's very funny. And um, seven, the, uh, and the weirdness is for me all in. They they smuggled fifty five million dollars <laughs> of American corporate money into a film celebrating conjoined twins. For that, yeah, I thank you. For that, I salute them. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of similar. I think you know. I've tried to make a case that it's weird, and for me, that the disability inclusion and equality is is always very interesting, and I do think it's unusual. I'm, I'm happy to go with seven. On the quality side, I'm going to give it eight burgers because I yeah. do think I watched it by myself as well, and I just found it so chucklesome, and some bits were laugh out loud. Yeah, and they are. go and see it for Matt Damon and Greg Kinnear, and just what they ring from it. Absolutely. Um, I hope you enjoyed this one. Uh, we certainly enjoyed talking about stuff. Until next, next time. What's Wrong With This Picture is brought to you by Lindsay McCulloch and Gary Mulholland and is recorded by Russ Keffert at Audio Egg. Music composed and performed by Russ Keffert.